This is To Catch a Con Man, Season 2, In the Victim's Voices. I will take you on another fascinating journey, but this time you will hear from other men and women that, like me, have fallen prey to the various cons, scams, and deceits by one of the most prolific and successful con artists to live and operate in the Midwest. You know him as Ricky Dugo. Could a hundred grand sustain my life? It couldn't even come close. So, so listen to me. If I was going to be in some sort of a con, scam, conniving thing, it'd be for millions. It wouldn't be for $100,000. To Catch a Con Man is brought to you by Studio 847 in Long Grove, Illinois. Listener discretion is advised, as some of this programming contains language and content that might be offensive to some listeners. Join me on this adventure to catch a convent. This is Adam Albin. On this next episode of To Catch a Con Man in the Victim's Voices, during the summer of 2018, I met with Lake County and provided them with a list of victims whom had been conned by Ricky Dugo. This next interview is with a Lake County detective and investigator that worked on the case for over two years. You'll hear in his words, how chasing Ricky Dugo snowballed out of control, interviewing victims all over this country. Let's meet Detective Bill Bain. Sitting here with Detective Bill Bain. Um, Bill was instrumental in uh, his investigative work that he provided uh, in 2018, specifically to helping to take down Ricky Dugo. Um, how are you, Detective Bill? It's been a long time. Adam, it's been a long time. Thanks. It's great. I'm doing great. Good. Happily retired. That's amazing. Uh, you're enjoying it, huh? Playing a lot of golf. Traveling, playing golf, doing all the things I want to do. That's awesome. Um, so let's go back to 2018. It's the summer. Um, I call you on the phone, or, 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 or I should say, I go into Vernon Hills, the police department. I file a police report. They give me the Lake County State's Attorney's investigative number, the general phone number. Um, you call me the next day. Um, in the conversation that we had, I had explained to you um, what I had known at the time. I was like six or seven days into investigating Rick. Um, you had mentioned at first um, that it really sounded more civil from what you had heard, um, and that was totally understandable. Um, what were your first impressions of that phone call? Do you happen to remember that? Well, yeah, I do remember the call, Adam. And uh, my first impressions were, this is somebody we should talk to, at least to, you know, because I knew that you were getting the runaround from Vernon Hills and other places. And I knew that, 
that's the kind of case that our office deals with. Local police departments, they kind of shy away from doing fraud cases because they do feel that, you know, maybe it's a civil matter. These were business agreements or other agreements that you entered into somebody, you know, investments, what have you, uh, that, you know, there are no guarantees that your investments are going to make you money and things of that nature. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, we looked at it, and I talked to uh, my boss, Fred Day, and uh, obviously I set an appointment for you to come in to meet with me and Fred uh, at our office, and that's what happened. Tell me a little bit about what your background is. What was your title? What were you doing? What were some of the normal things that you were investigating with your title? Well, my my background is I was a Waukegan police officer for 32 years. I was... Uh, Retired as chief of police in 2009, went to work as a chief investigator for the Lake County State's Attorney's Office. Uh, my job, in particular, uh, my specialty was uh, things like elder abuse, uh, thefts from organizations, uh, voter fraud, things of that nature. I did a lot of those types of investigations, but, but it could be anything. We just did anything from homicides to, you know, frauds like yours. Okay. Um, so we set up an appointment um, for like two days later. Um, I, I come into your, uh, you know, into the office. Um, I don't know if you remember, David's with me. Yes, no, yes he was. Yeah, he uh, walks me up. Um, we sit down with, uh, I, I remember it being you and um, uh, ADA Fred Day. Um, and we start to talk things over. I read you a letter. Uh, dear Detective Bang, you know, um, please take this very seriously. And we start to go over um, what I had known at the time and what I had uncovered. Um, in hearing that initial conversation, was there something that like grabbed you in and you were like, holy moly, maybe there's something bigger here? Uh, not initially. I think, you know, investigators are always skeptical. That's in our nature. You know, we're always thinking, okay, what's this going to be about? And uh, we were skeptical at first. Uh, we heard your story, uh, obviously. Uh, we listened to you, and uh, yeah, I think as you talked and we continued to discuss, and we looked at the number of victims, the number of people that you had found and that you had, had you know, made contact with, that it, it needed further investigation. It opened there your was eyes. No, there, it did. There was no... Uh, expectation that this was going to go as far or as long that it, as it did. We thought this would be a relatively quick, you know, let's look at this. We'll take a, take a quick look. If we can make anything of it, great. If not, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, but as things went on and we looked at the numbers and the people that we talked to and the number of victims and the, and the, the types of victims, uh, it opened our eyes. And uh, we really decided that this was a, a case that we would, were going to attack. Some of the victims, not so much like you, but some of the victims were young kids who were just trying to, just getting started in life, that this guy destroyed their credit ratings, destroyed their lives, turned them into, you know, uh, uh, debtors for the rest of their lives because they went into these agreements with him to buy him cars, to sign for motorcycles, to do all kinds of things that uh, 
but you know, it was clear that they had no idea what they were getting into. And they were talking about 21, 22, three-year-old girls that he met at a, at a weight room, at, you know, at a, at a workout facility. Uh, other people that, you know, he, he had befriended, uh, that he, you know, that he had talked to, that he'd given uh, his line uh, of baloney. You can swear. I don't want to. You can swear. You can say whatever you want. I know. But, uh, and it just, it just, you know, from his landlord in uh, Libertyville to his neighbors that we spoke with, everybody had the same story. You know, it was just a, it was just Ricky's kind. And Ricky just, I mean, he, it was clear to us after a very short time that this guy needed to go to jail. And that was our goal, was to get him uh, into, the, into the system somehow. So, um, you mentioned some things that, uh, that are interesting. Um, let's talk about in, in the initial part of your investigation, you guys probably run some background checks. Has he been arrested in Illinois? You know, um, who's opened files on him in the past? I believe DuPage County had, I believe at some point Cook County may have had something on him. Where did this investigation take you? Well, I mean, of course we, we dug into his background. Uh, we found out about his felony arrest in Ohio, uh, and, and that that case, and we just kept digging and digging into the background. We looked into his civil cases. We found more actual information uh, from lawsuits that were filed against him, uh, civil cases, than necessarily from you know the, the investigations from DuPage and other places, because there really wasn't much done. There really wasn't a lot of follow-up done because I think they felt like a lot of other people. Well, these are guys that are going into some kind of business agreement uh, that uh, they should have known better. You know, and it's, it's when you invest in something, you make a deal, you go in, and somebody tells you, you know, I'm going to do this for you, and it's the old. If it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. For and, sure. Uh, that's what a lot of departments, a lot of agencies look at, and they say, okay. But I don't think they went into it with the depth and breadth that we that we did. And a lot of that had to do with some of the things that you did, you know, to put together lists and find other victims and reach out to people. And that assisted us a great deal. So um, you had mentioned that uh, you had talked to a lot of victims. Um, how many victims... How many people did Lake County find? How many people did you interview um, that that were victims? How many people were on that list I've always wanted to see? Uh, I would venture to say 30, at least, maybe more. Mm -hmm. uh, and every time we turned the corner, we found new victims. So every time we'd interview one person, they'd say, talk to this guy or talk to this girl. You find, you know, they, hit, they, got, they got ripped off too. So it just kept snowballing. And uh, to give you an accurate number, you know, I don't still have any of my reports or any of that sort of thing uh, to give you a, to a total number, but there were a lot of victims yeah. dating back to the 80s. Detective Tony Thies at one point verbally told me they had a list of about 170-something. Does that sound accurate, or is that more victims and potentially people? Well, there were uh, at least 100-and-some people that we spoke with, oh, I'm guessing 170 people that we interviewed. Now, whether they were all officially victims or not is, you know, I, Tony knows. Tony knows this case inside out and backwards. 
I would not question a thing he said. I guarantee if he said 170, that's accurate. Great. Um, let's talk about where this uh, investigation took you. Um, you went out of state a few times. Um, what were you doing? Um, Interviewing victims. Right. For the most part, I went to Las Vegas. I went to Arizona. I went to, Tony and I went to South Carolina, North Carolina, North Carolina, yeah. uh, and interviewed the, yeah. and uh, he was one of, one of the most damaged guys out there that had gotten damaged financially, I should say, by, uh, by what Dugo did to him. I mean, he was just devastated, devastated. Yeah, I, devastated. His life was, was uh, turned upside down and you can pretty much credit all the bad things that happened to him, I think, to Ricky Dugo. Sure. He's a, you know, Dugo could, did not care anything. He went and picked up in the hospital after surgery, took him to the bank to have him withdraw money. Yeah. You know. That's uh, sick. It's, 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 it's just, you know, he was in the hospital. He literally took him out of the hospital to the bank so he could withdraw a certain amount. I forget the number. But took him to the bank to withdraw money. Right. And, and then took him back to the hospital and put him back in bed. It's unbelievable. That, that I mean, that just kind of goes over the line a lot, of, far over the line. I would, you know. I would agree with that. Um, Missouri, um, at one point, had opened at least an investigation. Um, I have never been successful with having any conversation with uh, Anthony Williams, the, the investigator. Um, anybody in that office, nobody's returned any of my calls. When Dorothy Tucker went down to Missouri uh, to look into this, uh, they claimed they never heard of a Rick Dugo. So tell me a little bit about your time in Missouri. What happened? Well, I never, we never actually went to Missouri. Okay. We never went to the Ozarks where he had been the boat, uh, stealing boats, ripping off people down there. Uh, there were numerous victims down there. There were people who had been violated by Rick Dugo a lot down there. And uh, we reached out talk to them, we talk to the U.S., not from the U.S. Attorney, the, the, uh, the District Attorney, I guess it was, in, uh, in uh, uh, that county, and uh, it just, they just never really followed up, and I think it's the same kind of thing, well, you know, you, you, you make a deal with somebody, and you don't get your money, you, you know, too bad, you know, you're, you're just a sour loser, but there are people who got, I mean, obviously, clearly, he would rent places down there, never intended to pay any rent, which he never did in his entire life, as far as I can find, uh, unless he was going to get evicted and he needed to just get, delay the eviction for a couple of months. Um, but So you, uh, think, you think entities or um, investigative units like the uh, Attorney General in Missouri, when Russell Fisk, who, you know, he goes there with a list of 22 victims, that's not enough for them to even really dig into a case. I mean, again, I get it. It's, um, it's shame on you. You should have known better, but that's like a one-to-one -one thing, right? You know, but if you have all of these people and you have this, um, this pattern, we'll call it, right? Well, that's clearly what we saw. We clearly immediately saw this pattern developing from, like you said, from Missouri to Ohio to Michigan to Florida. I mean, there were victims everywhere. Indiana. Yeah, Indiana, obviously, yes. And uh, uh, so we were all over the place. And then we saw this 
and we really thought, well, maybe this should be a federal investigation, not a not a local investigation. So we reached out, uh, got some assistance from the from the FBI, but you know, even they did not want to uh, go into this either. And why I don't know. I can't tell you why. Maybe it didn't reach the threshold of something that they're you know they have thresholds they for investigations and. It's up to the individual U.S. attorney and the individual FBI office to, to make those decisions, and I'm not part of those decisions. We had assistance. We did have a federal agents working with us on this case, but it never got to the point where they were going to open up a, a federal investigation, which in my opinion, you know, it should have been because there were so many. This thing stretched all around the country, and so we did it ourselves. We didn't, you know, we knew... That if, this, if we were going to do this, after we reached out to enough places, even the local department, that this was going to be something that we, this was ours and ours alone. Yeah, I find that so interesting. The FBI actually was contacted two prior times. Right. Uh, Andrew, as well as um, Mr. And they always said, no matter how much was stolen or taken or given to him, even though this is all, again, under this this framework of theft by deception, um, that he just wasn't a big enough whale. Uh, he wasn't a big enough fish. Um, I find that so disappointing because if the FBI would have done something and opened a case, there would have been background information at some point that maybe they had filed charges and maybe the folks that came after that wouldn't have been you know, victims at all. And it's the same thing for Missouri. If Missouri digs in, you know, in 2016, 2017, and they actually um, put together a case and do what they're supposed to do and follow up on these things, people like me don't happen. Right. So. Right. No, that's true. And it, or you would hope they would have. Hope. But not, but again, these, these, these are cases that, you know, there's 18 victims here, five victims here, one victim here, four victims here. Not everybody, you know, these, they don't always put the, uh, maybe not the energy, the effort to go digging deeper. Um, absolutely, it was a huge, huge case. There, like you said, hundreds of victims. And probably some that we don't even still today know about. I guarantee, I guarantee it. Guarantee it. And I imagine if you could con people in prison, you'd be conning people outside of prison to go give money to his ex, his wife, whatever she is. You know, so um, it's a, it's a difficult sit for me to explain. It, these are kind of, these are cases that kind of fall in the cracks of, you know, is it civil? Is it is is it not? You know, you ask for it. You know, you should. It's too good to be true. You know, it sounds too good to be true. It probably is. You know, people get conned a lot, and not a lot of people always call the police. There are police. There are people in his neighborhood. They never call sure. the police. You know, this guy got knocked off, uh, got ripped off for four thousand dollars. Well, I'll double it in a week. Well, guess what? I mean, that ain't happening. Uh, so, and that's your next door neighbor. You know, his next door neighbor. Oh, I know. And, and uh, it's just people always okay. If he goes to the cops, he sounds like a dope. I mean, he's he's thinking these are successful people that should know. You know, that maybe they should know better. Maybe they shouldn't. I mean, first of all, he wasn't ripping off guys on you know. That were, that were broke, no. you know. He was ripping off guys who had some wherewithal and an ability to pay. And he has a way. He had a knack for getting close to people, for endearing himself to people. Uh, and I'll tell you, people liked him. 
You know, the people initially, they liked him. They were going to his party. They were godparents to his kids yeah. before they got ripped off. And they were, and it's too bad. It's a shame, you know, but he has, you know, he didn't get, get away with this because he was bad at it. He was no. pretty good at it. Yeah, and that's, and we'll go into that in a second. So statistically speaking, 10% of all white collar crime, 10% um, of victims actually file a police report. In my estimation, with the victims that I talked to, which was over a hundred, um, less than five, actually, they went to the FBI or to the police at some point. Um, it's interesting that so many people internalize this. Um, a, they don't know that they're um, that a serial con man or a, a career criminal of sorts is actually. Um, they think that they're all alone. I guess is what I'm saying. They think that it's just happening to me. Um, and then there's the embarrassment and shame. They don't want to go to the police no, and, exactly. and, and, and explain that they were duped, that right. they made a terrible decision. Um, yeah. and, that, and that's probably, what, obviously, clearly why only five out of a hundred went to the police. Right. Compared to other, I mean, okay, so in, 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 your, in your work as an investigator, as a police officer, a police chief, how prevalent is are conning and like and scammers in this area. I mean, is that something that happens a lot? Well, we dealt with all types of different scams. I mean, we did dealt with elder abuse. We dealt with, I mean, there are con men everywhere. Mm -hmm. there, there's a way to make money off of somebody. I mean, you're a computer expert. You know uh, what people do over the you know computers and how they try to get you. You know, they send you these things that look like it's from uh, your bank. You know, and so uh, this is the Bank of America. We need to redo your. Uh, uh, credit, you know, your information, your bank information, please give us your social security number. <laughs> you know, and people fall for this all the time. And you know, it's over and over and over again. I mean, it, uh, uh, I dealt with so many different types of cons, you know, you know the, uh, the insurance cons, grandfather scam, you know, all these different things that people would get ripped up. There's somebody from out of the country saying, you know, I'm Johnny, your grandson, you know, I need money to get out of jail. Will you send me money to Cali you know, up, up uh, to Canada? You got to go to the, you got to, you got to go to that uh, Western Union. Union station at the Kmart or the Walgreens and send the money. Otherwise it won't work, you know, and these people fall for it all the time. I mean, I, and we had, you know, gypsy scams. People would knock on the door and say, we can do your driveway. And while they're showing you the problems with your driveway or your roof, there's somebody going in the back door. I had two people get ripped off within two weeks of each other. I mean, they were the same person had $80,000 in cash stolen from their house. And then the two weeks later, another 40. How did, oh, okay, well, I mean, that's... They were elderly people, they were women, they had, you know, they felt like they had to have cash in their house. They had a lot of money because they were successful, you know, in their jobs and had made millions of dollars at Abbott Lab and profit sharing or what have you. And they got ripped off. And these, you know, they just kept that money in their house. And the gypsy said, "Okay, if they did it once, maybe we can go back again." And I had a little, a little old guy, a nice old man. He got the lottery scam. You know, we won the lottery. We can't cash it because we're not U.S. citizens. Can you cash it for us? You know, and can you? If you give us eighteen thousand, we'll give you the ticket. Okay, and that's he gave him the eighteen thousand, and the ticket was worth nothing. You know, it was a fraudulent ticket. I mean, these kinds of things happen all the time, Every all day. the time, and it's rare 
that you can get a good enough description. Now it's different now because nobody's, back then, they would actually take them to the bank, you know. And now, you know, there was video recordings of everybody's, you know, and uh, now it, you have a little better shot. The police have a little better shot of at least seeing who the offender is in a lot of these cases. But it's, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, the state police had, you know, ruse burglary task forces for years because they know that this is going on all the time. Uh, but, you know, senior citizens are getting ripped off. Not just senior citizens. All kinds of people, for some reason or another, find these things and they fall for it and they get ripped off. And I mean, I mean it's that or, you know, maybe it's the treasurer for the Little League, with, you know, who's been paying their bills with the Little League, you know, money. You know, we have all kinds of things, you know, so sure. it's all kinds of different uh, uh, cases like that. I'll give you the number. Uh, personal fraud uh, and like commercial fraud is between 40 to $100 billion a year in the United States in losses. Uh, so it really is kind of eye-opening. Um, so what happened like when you went out to uh, Las Vegas? What was that victim like? I know it was... She, uh, was, one, she was one of the, the young girls that had, getting, that had given him, uh, met him at the gym. Ricky befriended her, said he was going to help her build up her credit score. I can really help you, you know. Took her to the Harley Davidson place. They bought two Harley Davidson, put it in her name, and uh, Ricky never made a payment. And so she was just, you know, it was, I don't know, $40,000 worth of motorcycles uh, at the time. And Ricky never made a payment. Ricky and one of his buddies drove the motorcycles until they got, you know, caught. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Um, was, was there anything on these little trips that you, you know, that you went on um, with, with Detective Thies? Is there anything that was surprising? Uh, did anything kind of, like, I guess, uh, is there anything that was so, that like just blew your mind uh, at how good he was at getting away with this? Well, I don't know that it was that case. I think what more, you know, just looking at some of the victims who were really successful high up in businesses that knew, should have known better. I mean, in our opinion, not known better, but should have, maybe the light should have gone. You'd think, why didn't the light go on? You know, after all this money and all these times he's taken, wouldn't you finally say, hey, screw you. I'm not giving you anymore at, at some point. Yeah. But, you know, that, that and then that's not just from the trips of, you know, to other places. You know, I went to Vegas and, and, and Arizona on my own. Tony and I went to North Carolina, but, uh, and we went to Southern Illinois. We, you know, we went to St. Louis. We were all over the place because he had victims or uh, associates that we had to interview. They were all ended up being victims. Uh, there were a few people. What surprised us was there were a few people that just would not cooperate. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were. I don't know why. Uh, when we went to Indiana, the people just refused to cooperate with us, and they were victims. They were, he was using their name to get houses, to, you know, to, to you know, fraudulently apply for loans, not loans, but the rent, uh, and to assign them the lease. Uh, so, you know, there were all kinds of things he was doing. And they wouldn't, you know, and they had uh, expensive sports cars. 
that Ricky that they had bought for Ricky. Yeah, you Nissan, know, yeah, it was a little yeah, a, a little Nissan, whatever they call that thing. GTR. A GTR, and then the other people were get them getting them the Dodge uh, Viper. That was it, a Viper? No. No, uh, they uh, she. Uh, I'm trying to remember the title. The granddaughter car. went in on an F350 pickup truck. Yeah, but then there was another one uh, up here where they bought them. Fancy Dodge sports car. Yeah, that was a Viper. He had a Viper. Yeah, a Dodge Viper or something like that. Uh, I, I don't remember all the all the details of each particular vehicle, but you know, there and the pickup trucks, Cadillacs, Escalade, Mercedes Benz, Jeeps, you name it. He had people getting them for him. Right. So, like, when you start to look at everything that he's been able to accomplish, he's got motorcycles, boats, cars, houses, cash. I mean, he's running the gamut. Nothing is off limits to this guy. I mean, at what point for you? Rolex watches. Yeah, oh, yeah that was a huge that one. That was a huge part. Talked of about scam. that one last night. Yeah. yeah. Rolex watch was a huge scam. Yeah. He, oh, get, you know, get me this roll, sign for this roll, and he'd take it down to the jeweler's row yep. and pawn them. Right. And get maybe half what they're worth. Exactly. You know, and uh, that's all he cared about. And he had guys doing that all the time. Right. You know, that was a big thing with the. Uh, uh, Tiffany, I think he was at Tiffany's a lot in uh, in Old Orchard. Uh, and CD Peacock was and another one. Peacock was yeah. another one. Yeah, and he Peacock. Was going that down was the, that was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. It wasn't Tiffany; it was Peacock. And he was going down to Howard Fromm in Jewelers Row, yes. and he'd have um, David would take the Rolexes and pawn them off, and bring Ricky all the cash. Um, well, Ricky he, would do it himself too. Yeah, yeah, that was a huge one. He got. Uh, for that same thing, yep. uh, Rolexes uh, was uh, to pay off the aldermen for the zoning rights to a to a car wash. Um, I mean, this guy was really good. I mean, are you guys thinking he's he's he, there's no way he can be this good? I'm trying to understand well, like, from from like law enforcement. I, I think from our perspective, you know, and obviously it's not the maybe not the appropriate way to think about it. We all think about why are people so stupid to do this stuff for him? I mean, that's what we're thinking. We're thinking, come on, this guy, uh, buy me a Rolex watch. What, what computes here? I don't get it. You know why you would do that? Why would you give him, you know, four thousand? Oh, I'll double it in a week. Baloney! You're not going to double it in a week. No, that's. It's just like, come on. But it's not just what what shocked us. Was all these people were pretty successful business owners, businessmen, people who you think you thought would just say, "Screw you, asshole!" You know, I'm not doing that. Uh, but it didn't. But he was good at it. He had to be good at it because he had a way of, of you know, he had one, one, only one guy. He took him into. He had just gotten into a new house, and one guy can't remember his name. Took Ricky, and he'd already been victimized. He took Ricky to a furniture store and wanted him to sign for all of his furniture. And he finally just said, "Screw you! I'm not doing it." <laughs> no, that's the only guy that I can remember. That, you know, and there may be others. You know that because you know you can't do this. You're not hitting. You're not batting a thousand every time you. You know, you do this, you're getting. You know, you're being successful. There were people that I'm sure told him to go scratch, but the only one we talked to. Was a guy from Libertyville that took him over. They took him over to the furniture store. I forget which one. He was going to get a house full of furniture, and he wanted this guy to sign for it for him because you know 
He didn't want his ex-wife to find out about it or some baloney. That was his big one. Well, I'm getting divorced. It's my ex-wife. I don't need her to know about me getting this car. So I put it in your name. Come on. Who does that? Yeah. <laughs> it was successful. He was successful at that one more than once. And oh, lots of times. Yeah. Lots they, of times. And any time they were evicted, uh, they uh, would be going on Marketplace uh, and selling all the furniture and taking the profit. Absolutely. And, um, did you ever have a conversation with his sister? I don't remember specifically. I believe we went and interviewed her and she told us to pound sand. And you found that many. Oh, um, let's go back to, um, you had mentioned how many people were uncooperative. Um, there were many. There were a lot of uncooperative. Some that were hesitant, some that had just, you know, their whole life the guy had ruined. And they just didn't want to revisit it. They had gotten their, themselves back on their feet mm -hmm. after these many years of struggling with their, you know, credit ratings and all the other things. They'd lost their savings, their mother's life savings, you know, on some car wash scam or whatever it was. And they were devastated. These people were just devastated by this stuff. I mean, they, I mean, they called him the devil. I mean, he was, you know, absolutely, there's, this guy is the devil. And... Anything he touches, anywhere he goes, there's going to be victims. And they were right. Yeah. Um, do you believe that he had accomplices? Um, people like these these helpers. The Miss Kowskis, the Mr. Grants. Um, Absolutely. There were some people who, uh, who helped him. And I'm still, you know, I still wonder... Uh, the, the Grant fella, he, I don't ever, we've never found out that he was a victim. He never told us he was a victim. He wasn't. And yet I, well, Maybe. do you really know that? Do you really know that? I don't know that, that, uh, Bowski, I think she was a victim. I think she was a victim. I think she, it turned into, you know, cause she, obviously she was a victim cause she'd bought in cars, cars and yeah, but she, but she was on the rent. Like two or three times she had houses. I mean, like uh, Dick, right. Dick Duran's house, the former Chicago Bearhead coach's house. Right. You know, that's the lease. Right. And, but, and, but, he, but, uh, why, but so she was, she clearly, clearly was a victim. But why she wouldn't cooperate, why she kept helping this guy is beyond me. I don't know what she got from him. Maybe we'll never know because, you know, she wouldn't cooperate. So And the same way with the, the people in Indiana. Yeah. You know, the people in Indiana, uh, they wouldn't cooperate. The grandmother, the, the the girl who worked for Purdue University, we went and interviewed her in her office. Yeah. She wanted nothing to do with us. I've emailed her many times. No. Um, You'll never get anything out of her. So what about fraud? So I know that this would be something that was probably out in Indiana. But what I saw on these credit applications when they were initially denied, and this is specific to like the Nissan GTR. So the grandma goes, and it, you know, this, this grandma in Indiana, she goes out and tries to put a GTR in, in her name for Rick, okay? Mm -hmm. She goes out there, she applies for credit, it gets denied. Rick forges a letter with using uh, Jeff Klein's company, um, the Concrete Company, concrete company yeah. and, and, and writes a personal letter on that letterhead stating right. that so-and-so is an employee making an extra $8,000 a month, uh, I can vouch for it. And goes ahead, submits the you know fraudulent you know letter. The bank approves the loan. You know he's driving around a car, 
that is, you know, years later has never been repossessed. It's never been found. Right. So where did that go? That's exact good question. There's another uh, badge, whatever it was. It was, it was a different kind of. Well, it might not. Have, it wasn't a Viper. It was. Uh, I can't think of the name of the car. But it, you know, I'm not a big car guy. But it was a. You know, it looked like a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or oh, whatever. Yeah, I forget what the really expensive one is. Yeah, the Hellcat. hundred thousand Hellcat. That's the, what it is. Yeah, it was yeah. A Hellcat. There's a Hellcat out there somewhere too. That's never that, been that's found. A, that's never been found. I don't. I don't Whose name is that? A, uh, uh, Mike It might be in her name. What I found that's so interesting. I'm not sure, but I, I don't quote me on that. But yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. Uh, I, I don't have the, you know, all those facts right. And you know, I'm not a, I'm not an encyclopedia like Tony Theus is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to get him to sit down with me as well. Yeah, he'd be a good interview. Um. So. Because he knows this case inside out and back. And he was working on it for a year after I left, you know. Yeah. So. Or more. Why do you think there was such a significant lag from the time that I present you with this, we'll call it a folder, a file folder of information. And you're, I remember specifically you saying, you know, we're going to get them, you know, don't worry about it. And as, as things kind of went on. You're like, I knew you were worried about your impending retirement because you're like, I retire in a year. Hopefully we get this wrapped up in a year. And I'm thinking, we got to get it wrapped up, you yeah, know? Yeah. So, well, you know, there's always delays. There's changes in management in our office, changes in our supervisors that some, you know, were more aggressive than others and some really wanted to go after it. And finally, when Kevin Barrel got a hold of it uh, in our office, uh, it, it went somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Kevin is a great, great lawyer, great attorney, and he did a great job with this, you know, for what he had. You, know, you got to remember a lot of the things you're talking about, too, like the things in Indiana and the things in Michigan, they're out of our jurisdiction. For sure. You know, we, it, that's why we thought, let's get the feds involved. Let's get them, you know, involved in something, because you got all this bank fraud going on with all these loans, all this stuff, and you thought they would have gone after them. Yeah, but not they only. Didn't. Not only, yeah, you've got bank fraud, you have wire fraud. All the different things. So, yeah. but why? I mean, that, so again, I know that you're not the FBI, but but that's what's so, like, almost like alarming, is what do you have to do to get on their radar for, like, a white-collar crime perspective? Is it more, um, you need to embezzle a million dollars from a company? Because cause those people seem to get caught left and right. I don't think it would be that hard for them to put together a case on, on this, even if they, but now you've got statutes of limitations, all these other things that have gone by the wayside that they may not be able to, re, you know, revisit these cases because there's no way to prosecute them. And I'm sure the the attorney general or the U.S. attorneys that are their bosses are saying, oh, that's just, you know, you got all these little victims, it's too hard of a case. You know, it's a, you got, to do the federal case, you've got so many tentacles on this investigation from every state that we've talked about, you know, and so many victims. It's a massive, massive undertaking. What Tony did, and me to a certain extent, was a massive undertaking, a massive organizational thing, just to get a couple of the cases charged. Not many. I mean, we didn't do a lot. I mean, we didn't charge every case. You right, know, yeah, I, there was there's definitely some cases that dropped off due to statutes of limitations. And, you know, they're easily, in, in, my, in my opinion, um, 
you know, you had probably three to five victims that were within that 2016, 2017 range that by the time the charges were filed that had fallen off. There were more victims than that. Yeah. And I think that would have made a really large difference. Um, and this is why, because if we would have had eight total people instead of three initially, and then a fourth added later, all of a sudden he would have gone from six charges potentially to like, you know, 12, 18 charges. Well, we, we, we would, our thought, mine and Tony's, mine and more than probably than Tony's, but we thought there's got to be some way to tie all these cases together and maybe the, you know, the, the uh, statute of limitations, you know, continuing criminal conspiracy type of thing where he's continuing to go on and on and on, enterprise, whatever you want to call it, so that we could charge him with some kind of a case that would we could reach back to the 80s and charge him with all the different things that he did. But uh, I guess we should be lucky that we got what we did. You know, it's it, unfortunate, but it, it's just such a massive undertaking. I don't know that most agencies, offices are equipped to do that, to be honest with you. Yeah. To put the massive amount of time that one of these cases like this, you know, that's why, again, why we had, you know, we talked to the IRS, we talked to the FBI, we talked to, you know, everybody. And it's a, it's a lot of hard legwork time to put a case like this together. Does Ricky Dugo file taxes? I don't think he's ever filed in this. I don't, that, that I don't know. I don't believe so. As okay. far as I know, he doesn't. Uh, so, and the or IRS, hasn't. and the IRS was not interested in this at all. Well, I got to tell you this. The IRS could have an investigation going right now and we wouldn't know about it. Got it. You know, there's, so could the FBI. The FBI could be looking into this and we wouldn't know about it and that's fine. All we wanted to do was get them interested in doing this case so that, Victims could be, you know, made not made whole, but at least given, you know, some uh, satisfaction that he didn't walk away without any type of punishment. No, the guy should be doing twenty years in a federal prison for sure. In my, in my mind, that's all. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you. Um, and I don't want this. I don't want you to think that I'm not appreciative. I think if if you know, I'm your biggest fan. Um, Tony and, and Kevin Barrow was a was you know he was a bulldog, um, and he was up against some staunch competition. In that uh, courtroom, I mean. Oh yeah, those are good lawyers. Uh, Dugo had one of the best in Chicago. Uh, that's represented Jesse Jackson Jr. and he just represented um, one of the uh, Comed Four, um, a guy that doesn't lose often. Um, so you think he should have gotten twenty years in a you know federal? Well, court. in a perfect world, yeah. You know that's what would have happened, I and mean, he certainly deserves some some serious jail time. For all of the different victims that he's put put through hell, he should have gotten more than that. Is there anything that like stands out in this case? I mean, is there anything that what what sort of things that do I not know? You know? Well, I don't. I, I well, the, the things that you don't know are the are the the back stories of you know what things that happened that people we interviewed and the discussions that we had trying to get charges filed a couple of years ago. You know and. They just never they never materialize for whatever reasons. So those are the things that you don't know. Uh, but you know that's it's it's nothing nothing out of the, you know. There's no cases that uh, you haven't probably heard about. No no victims because you're pretty good about following up on all and who the victims were and reaching out to them and contacting them. 
And uh, uh, so that's, you know, but that's, that's the biggest thing. The, the people that you don't know, you know. Uh, and there were, some, there were some people that were talking to us other than you about this case that helped us a lot in this investigation, too. I mean, there were other people, beside other victims who had information that, you know, a couple of them that come to mind that really helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but they, you know, they don't want to have their name brought up in this. No, no, no. Which is, which is... <laughs> they want to stay out of it. But they were very cooperative and they helped and they were good citizens and they, they worked with the, with, the, with, the, with the, the state's attorney's office, law enforcement, to try to make sure that this guy got what he had coming. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, I think that you know this. I think that you know that I relied heavily on a lot of the backstory information, the history that I didn't know from a confidant that I still to this day don't know his name. I have never wanted... And I won't tell you. I don't want to know his name. (laughs) Um, I want to always keep him as this angel that was with me on my shoulder. um, And I don't want to... uh, What's the right word? Um, I just don't ever want to know his name. I feel like that would take away from what we built. Yep. What did you bring here with you? What do you got? Uh, these are just some of the background information that I have, you know, some some notes that I have from the case. Yeah. Is there anything that talks in, in there about his, his upbringing? Did you ever learn anything about, you know, how old was he when he had his first con? Because um, I know that, like, one of his high school girlfriends got conned uh, out right. of, like, 500 bucks for a car. And then it just seemed like he seemed like he had a really easy time preying on these women, a lot of women that fell in love with him. He was so charming. They were so enamored by him. And then they felt hook, hook, line, and sinker, not only in love with him, where you have an emotional component, but then he, you know, fucked them all over and stole all of their money. And stole from their parents, stole and their, from rel- their parents. sisters and brothers and whoever else. Right. I mean, he stole from everybody. He did not care who he took money from. He didn't care at all. And that's probably why, you know, these girls who did fall in love with him or whatever, I mean, it goes back to, what was it? There was a doctor in DuPage or something, wasn't there, that got ripped off for a, for a cigarette boat? Yeah, that's in like uh, the 2003, 2004 time frame. Yeah, and, uh, and that was a relative of a, that was the father of a girlfriend uh, or a wife. I think, wasn't it? Oh, you're talking about, uh, yeah, you're, you're talking about his ex-wife. Yeah. I don't want to say her name. I know no, her name. I don't want to um, say her name either. And I don't want to say the doctor's name because I'm sure she doesn't want to talk yet either. <laughs> or he doesn't want his yeah, name brought up if yeah. he's still around. And that's an interesting story because not only did did he get a boat from him, but when Dugo wasn't paying the mortgage on the boat, as promised, the parents went to sell the boat. Unbeknownst to, uh, to them, Rick had taken the boat over like uh, like late at night to his buddy's marina shop where he had him pull the motors and these were like $50,000 motors, $80,000 motors, whatever it was. He parked the boat back at the parents' house who had somebody come and take a look at it. They had no idea until somebody was there to buy the boat that it didn't have the motors in it. That Rick had pulled. I mean, that's what he's doing. Yep. He's chopping things up just to just 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 to make some money. So right. this is a bigger question for you, you know, Detective Bill. Where is all the money? Good question. 
Yeah. Good question. What do you think he's stolen? Oh. Give me an estimate. Throw it out there. Oh, man. Because I was, I, I know what I thought. I, I told you it was between like four and six million dollars. Oh, way more than that. Four to five? Way more than that. No, no. That was my estimate in 2018. Oh, God, yeah. Well, I, just to give you, I, I, I couldn't even guess. Guess. I couldn't even Come begin on. to guess. Give me something. I couldn't even begin to guess. It has to be, I mean, because first of all, I don't know all his victims. The victims that I know, the cases that I'm familiar with, and Tony would have a better grasp on this, way better grasp on this than me, but it's got to be well over $20 million. Well over $20 million. That'd be my guess. Over all the different 50, 60, you know, pay my rents, all the rents he's ripped them. If you count every rent and every $4,000, I'll double your money, and you go back into that, you know, and a $4,000 scam to Ricky was nothing. No, I you know. know all the poor people who went went in on these car washes with them. Some of those people are out six and seven hundred thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, a lot of money. It's a lot of money, and it just and he didn't ever. He never worked. Never had a job. The only way he made money that I can see was kind of people. Right. He never ever worked for them. So I mean, he did rip off a couple of the people that he, because I know they opened the car wash for about two weeks. Two weeks. And had a couple of guys working for him who ended up suing him for wages that he never paid him. <laughs> yeah. And he also got sued by the, 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 the guy that owned the lease on the land. Right. Uh, right. I talked to him. So, though, so they're all, but if you start adding all of that up, you know, you're well into the $20 million. I, 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 I'm guessing even higher than that. <laughs> it's so It could be higher than that. Well, it's, it, you, when you, and if you were to go back and you found all the victims that he had since he was, like you said, like he grad when he graduated from high school, Amundsen or wherever he went to high school down in the city. Uh, uh, he went to Lane. It was no, Lane. he didn't go to Lane Tech. Not Lane Tech. Uh, no, I've got it. I've somewhere. got it. Somewhere. Yeah, I've got it somewhere. Um, that's remarkable to me. That you know, let's just say you're asking. It might have been Sen or Amundsen, one of those schools on the on the near north side. But let's just say you're close to the. Because he lived in the like the 4400 block of Christiana in Chicago. Yeah, and that's where his that's where his mother was, mother's house was. So that's where he grew up. So whatever high school district that is. But that number, at like, uh, at, if you estimate over twenty million dollars, I mean, again, I know it's an estimation. It's we're just throwing a dart in the dark here. Yeah, it's a way could be any could be way more than that. So when you figure. How much his rent was at Dick Duran's house? You know, how much was he not paying for that? How much, you know, this guy over in in uh, Gray's uh, Greg's Landing. Greg's Landing, you know, he wasn't never paid a dime for that. Yeah, that was. And he lived thing. there for a long time. Yeah. And I don't, I'm sure it was a three thousand dollar a month rent. It was. Times whatever. Yeah. You know, and start adding all of. Start that. adding all that up. Start adding up all of all the extra money people had to pay to, for these loans that they took out for them for cars and motorcycles and boats and things like that. You know, all the money they lost, you're, you're well up into that up into that range. I get, and then, like I said, you don't know how many victims have never come forward. There are still people out there. If 10% of the victims came forward out of the 100 people, if 100 is 10% of his victims, I'd be, I'd be surprised. So that's what brings up an interesting point as well. I think that this podcast, paired with you know like a magazine article that's coming out, there's a magazine article mm -hmm. coming out next month. Um, this should get some traction. This should get some some visibility, some media coverage, and I think that there'll be some people that come out of the woodwork. 
that we've never known. At least that's Hopefully. a goal. Um, well, but, if, but again, if they come out of the woodwork and we'll know about them, but will they really have any oh no any traction to arrest him no. to, to charge him with more cases? I'm not. I, I, uh, yeah. I thought Dorothy Tucker's thing would get more people. Yeah, Channel Two story. I thought she did a great job. She worked hard on it. She did. And uh, but I and I thought she would get more uh, traction. Yeah, more more uh, more traction on on what happened. But you know, I, I haven't seen it. And then maybe it, it could be that they're calling the state's attorney's office, and I've been gone from there for since 2020, so Tony could be getting calls all the time. I don't know. I don't think that that's happening. I mean, I think that they're good. He's in prison. Um, I think that he may be somebody else's problem at some point. Um, yeah, but I, I just wish that there was some way that someone would get involved from federally and go back and start. There's got to be a way to, you know, even if it was the IRS, go back and all this money he's taken from people, never paid a nickel in tax, never filed his taxes, you know, or if he did file, he filed that he made nothing, you know, you know, that could be the way he did it, you know, and, you know, to avoid that hassle, uh, but obviously that's a lie, you know, and uh, so what's the best way to, you know, stick it to him? Yeah, I, I would love to see somebody just come in and just we just take everything and say, "Hey, here, here's the big picture." You know, you're going, but I don't know that. So, that's not right. so you really believe that there's this big picture, right? Well, of course there is. Yeah, of course there is. It's just, it's, you know, it's like a guy who robs grocery stores, you know, or mini marts or whatever. You know, he's not doing ten in Waukegan. You know, he might do one in Waukegan, then he'll do one in in uh, Pleasant Prairie, then he'll do one in Northbrook. You know. And the, the combination doesn't always get made. You know, the connection isn't always made there. And that's purposeful because then of course both of these guys are super smart. They know that there's multiple jurisdictions. Well, I don't know about guys who rub. No, right. But I, 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 yeah. in Ricky's case, clearly he, hadn't, he didn't give a rat's ass about uh, he would go anywhere to do anything to steal from people. It didn't matter if you were his neighbor, his mother-in-law, his sister, it could be all and everyone, because he never spent a day in any gainful employment that I could ever see. Were you ever able to interview Ricky Dugo? No. You never got in front of him? No. Not. I, I don't know what, what happened. After I left, at, at the point that I left, no. Did you see Ricky Dugo at the grand jury testimony? That was in late 2019. Uh... I think Tony went. I did not go to that. We were doing other things. Hmm. Yeah, Tony. I'm pretty sure Tony and Fred went to that. I did not go. Okay. Um, is there anything that I didn't touch on? Not that I can think know? of. I mean, the, the the thing, the only thing that you know, obviously, there'd still be a lot of people out there getting ripped off if you hadn't come to us. I agree. You know, there'd still be a ton of people. Uh, out there being victimized, and I think you saved a lot of people a lot of headache, and a lot of uh, a, a lot of you know uh, uh, angst, and you know you saw what how devastated a lot of these victims were. If you hadn't come forward, if you don't come and have the you know the the uh, the tenacity, I guess, to come forward and say, you know, this is coming, and then 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, the state's attorney's office, uh, under Mike Nierheim, we 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 stood up for you. I mean, we did we did what we need what needed to be done, even though it didn't go as fast as you wanted it to go, because these cases never do. I mean, we we took it serious, where a lot of other agencies probably wouldn't. Yeah, and I think I think I think there's a lot of there's a lot there. You know, if we don't see what's going on and, and take an interest, because Tony wasn't even I don't even know if he was in the office when I interviewed the first time. We we hired him after that. Right. And he was there for the for the uh, overhears over and things like that. But uh, he wasn't even assigned to the case till after the overhear after the after the meeting in uh, Vernon Hills that we had. Let's talk. Uh, Let's touch on the over here just for a second, because I, I just wrote two episodes about the over here. Um, were you surprised that it actually was successful? Because it's you know that's something that isn't like done every day in Lake County. I mean, maybe you saw that in Waukegan with Vice. Oh, drugs. I've done a million of those. Uh, yeah. They don't always work. A lot of them don't work. A lot of them do. I mean, we've done we've done lots of them. Not a million. Not not nearly. But we've done them, you know, like murder cases and all kinds. You know, are they successful? Not as successful as that one sometimes. Some of them are great. Some of them work out terrific. I mean, you see the cases in the federal agencies where they have overhears and they got all kinds of information in theirs. So depends on the quality of the, of the person wearing the wire. And if he can, you know, if he knows, you know, he can get, he's not too scared to, you know, to go up and do it, you know, uh, it worked out pretty well. That one worked out very well, and you did yeah. a good job. No, I, 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 I just wrote about it, and um, it's interesting because uh, I don't know anybody else that's worn a wire, so I don't really have anybody else that like to communicate with about what it was like. Um, it's a really weird kind of thing, you know. It's uh, especially because I, I wasn't trading, you know. There was, I wasn't in trouble with the law. I wasn't trading wearing a wire and being a, an informant uh, right. to to not go to jail for something. Right. So this was you like a voluntary us, thing. You, you were just helping us gather evidence yeah. to make our case. Yeah, so. You know, and that was a, a very important piece, I thought, uh, you know, for the whole thing. And uh, at the end, you know, it worked out well. And it did, it, but, you know, we would have liked to have gotten something a little quicker. Not, over, you know, charges quicker after that. Sure. Because it took forever after that. Yeah. Would you say that Ricky Dugo is one of the most successful con people, con men, that you've ever seen in this area? Well, I guess he's successful up until the point that probably guys out there working right now have never been caught. <laughs> that might be more successful than Ricky, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But uh, Ricky got caught. So hopefully that's a lesson to a lot of other people, but not, every, not all of them get caught. I mean, a lot of them are coming in, like you said, or like I indicated, when you know they're calling in from, you know, Bahamas and saying we've got this insurance scam for you, you know, or, you know, if you buy, if you do this, you know, you won the lottery in the Bahamas, and uh, I had some poor guy give up thousands and thousands of dollars to the Bahamian lottery scam, you know. Those people aren't okay. Well, but those are also, <laughs> and I understand those are localized victims, but those are people that are coming from. Uh, outside of the country, outside of the state. What I'm kind of referring to is as a local guy. He probably one of the. He's probably one of the worst. The, uh, he's definitely the worst in this type of case that I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Were you surprised at how 
far and wide yes. his reach was. I, I mean, again, I know that you talk about like, should have known better. Like, what were you thinking? But I mean, if he could do this to me and and a and hundred other people, you know, he must have been really good at what he did. Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I mean polished. He, he was he was good at what he did, and he knew how to do it. He, I mean, that's all he did for his whole life. So I imagine he got pretty good at it. He went to jail one time, you know, in Ohio. Uh, so. Doesn't that strike you as crazy? Yes. That he could get away with all of it in Illinois? Because yeah. that's the whole premise behind this. Well, it... Illinois and Missouri and everywhere else he went. Yeah. Just so, like yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's crazy and that he would be able to get away with it. And like I said, it's, it's good that we got to send him to the, you know, send him to at least a short time. Yeah. What, where he can't victimize anybody, hopefully. Yeah, Unless he figures out a way to reach out from prison. Nowadays, who knows? Yeah. Uh, he's in Vandalia, Illinois, in case you were wondering. Yeah, I did not know. And I, like I said, once I retired, I was kind of out of it. And yeah. I, and right, that's the way it should have been. You know, if one, you know, once you retire, you're done. Yeah. So I helped out a little bit, but hopefully, hopefully, uh, and then I, I, I think Tony and Kevin deserve the, the, they're some of my biggest fans. All, all, all the work, all the credit, because they did a fabulous job. They did. Um, I owe them a debt of gratitude for sure. Absolutely. And I'm hoping, um, I've been firing off a lot of emails asking them to do the same thing with me. Uh, long and short is, you know, a lot of it has to do with I would like to be able to look at them and say thank you. When everything was going down at the end, and all of a sudden the gavel's dropped, and he's carted away. And I'm in this hallway in, in, in you know, Lake County in this, in this court. I don't really even remember what happened because I was in such a state of shock. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that, that, that they did a lot. And, well, they did uh, a ton. A ton. I mean, you can't, can't imagine the work that Tony put into this case and Kevin. I mean, they put in a ton of work. So you never heard about this case after, since after you left? I mean, I never really kept, you know, and, and honestly, to be honest with you, there was no, they shouldn't have talked to me about it. Once I'm out of the office, you're, you're disconnected. You're, you know, that, that would be, I'm not unethical, but probably inappropriate for them to call me up and say, hey, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? So, I, and I didn't bother them to ask because, uh, that I knew that you know once I was gone, I was gone. It was over. You know, my part. If they needed me to come back and testify to something that I did, I was. You know, I did go in and get interviewed to testify. I did testify in in her trial, uh, but you know, the the whole you know, the whole thing was Tony and Tony and Kevin and you. You know, the the victims. The victims are always the best witnesses. Yeah. Do you miss it? Not very often. <laughs> <laughs> I've been gone long enough now that I'm, I'm enjoying life too much to to worry about it. Yeah. You know, I, I do I, I do miss it, but you know, everybody has to know when to you know hang up their spikes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of wraps it up here. Good. Um, I really appreciate everything that you did um, from the onset. You know, from the first couple meetings through you know the million different places you went to. Uh, I really appreciate what you did. It meant a lot. It made a difference, and uh, I'm really thankful. Though. Thanks well, so much for. Well, thank you for all you did. I mean, you, if you, like I said before, if you don't come forward, there's people still getting ripped off by Ricky Dugo somewhere. You know, whether it's uh, and 
that 20 million becomes 30 million. And there's all those other lives that are destroyed. You know, you're lucky you didn't get hit that hard. You know, in the big scheme of things, you didn't you didn't get the you know, you were nowhere near the, oh, the, the biggest victim, but you were the you were the most tenacious victim, that's for sure. And I appreciate that. Yeah, and, and I think about that all the time. Uh, I got off easy. And most of what is all of the, that's been done, all of the hard work here wasn't for me. It wasn't, you know, this is like the last thing that I'd ever want to be a poster child for the guy that gets ripped off, right? Right. But if it can stop Rick Dugo from doing this one more time to one more person, or if it can open up other people's eyes that this, this does happen to successful, smart individuals all the time, people fall for things. And maybe it's just, uh, it's better to take a deep breath and, and think a little bit and ask yeah. yourself, is this real? Yeah. Um, Cause I didn't once think that it wasn't. And I'm a pretty sharp dude, you yeah, know? Yeah, like, yeah, no doubt um, about it. So, I really appreciate it, Bill. Thanks a lot for your Th time. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Okay. That was awesome. Thanks okay. Thank you for listening to this last episode of To Catch a Con Man in the Victim's Voices. Detective Bill Bain comes into the studio and provided us background and color of his time chasing Ricky Dugo, an adventure that took him to many states as he tried to gather up information to build this case. Detective Bill wishes someone with the feds would go through the files and potentially give Ricky Dugo another look-see, as in his opinion, Rick should have been a big enough fish for additional resources to look into one of the most prolific and successful con men to ever live in the Midwest. Bill estimated the total amount Dugo had swindled to be over $20 million. Coming up next, we will meet with a victim that I consider to be a very good friend, one that I have never met in person, yet someone that has always provided me with information and encouragement. Sadly, he too is a Ricky Dugo financial crime victim.